welcome to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkopf, Managing Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, Senior Reporter at Jezebel. Before we get into the show, we have to plug where we'll be on Saturday night. <laughs> Hanging out. You can come meet us at Politicon in Pasadena, California, at the Pasadena Convention Center for our panel. <laughs> it's called How to Handle the Dicks objectivity and empathy in the Trump era, or something like that. I didn't read that off of a piece of paper, but it's going to be great. We have some great panelists. We have Sally Cohn. We have Julissa Arce. And Grace Parra. And Grace Parra. It's an amazing lineup. It's also at on Saturday at 7 p.m., which is like a great time to like be on, like on the way to drunk just like we're going to be sitting back, we're going to be rapping, we're going to be relaxing, we're going to be talking about like how hard it is to talk about things. Especially Joanna's going to be rapping a lot. <laughs> I just mean like chatting. <laughs> It'll be fun. So if you are in the Pasadena area, you should come. But now let's get into our show. This week, Donald Trump announced basically out of nowhere, a ban on transgender people in the military. President Trump just tweeting out a big announcement about the military, saying this, quote, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. Here we are, American Heroes Week, and it sounds like the president has just defined who he now believes are heroes. The irony, of course, is this president waved the flag for equal treatment of gay and transgender people from, the time, from time to time throughout his campaign, portraying himself as a protector of equal rights for all. At the very least, a ban on transgender people in the military is a broken campaign promise. He did it Wednesday morning at 8.55 a.m. The first tweet at 8.55, the second tweet 9.04. So the first tweet was, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow dot, dot, dot. And we had to wait nine minutes to see what he was going to follow up with. And also it wasn't dot, dot, dot. It was like dot, 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 <laughs> dot, 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 dot. You're right. Dot, you're, dot, you're dot. right. It was an ominous, num- an ominous and non-ungrammatically correct number of dots. It was dots. an obnoxious number of dots. Yeah. So he, uh, so he cited his logic. He said, our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail. Thank you. This is a horrible decision. It's discriminatory. It comes out of nowhere. It has no basis in truth, blah, blah, blah. But also Donald Trump, like Donald Trump has made five draft deferments. He had five. five, four for college and one for bad feet according to the New York Times. Bad feet. And so truly. (laughs) No offense to anyone with legitimately bad feet. But But for him to say that anybody should be banned from serving in the military when he deferred for bad feet and then for other times is just the height of hypocrisy. It's higher than we ever could have dreamed. Except it's not because it's, (laughs) come on. I mean, we're, it makes we're perfect sense. About I mean, Donald yeah. Trump here. <laughs> so this week we are talking to Leah Griffin, who is a sexual assault survivor advocate, and she has helped pass and introduce several bills on both the state level and the federal level. And she's going to be here talking to us about how she did that and how she's done advocacy for the past three years. When we have six out of a thousand perpetrators actually going to prison for rape, 
those are medieval numbers. That's that's embarrassing. But first, our weekend weenies. All right, first up, we've got Jared Kushner. Donald Trump had a better message and ran a smarter campaign, and that is why he won. I love him. I mean, he re- his triumphant return to the week and weenies. Congrats. He's, yeah. Can we have, like, trumpets? <laughs> what did Jared Kushner do? What did I mean, Jared Kushner not do? Yeah. He did not collude with Russia, <laughs> according to him. I did not collude with Russia, nor do I know of anyone else in the campaign who did so. And I don't know how many of us believe that. So Jared Kushner had a two-and-a-half-hour closed-door meeting with the Senate Intelligence Committee on Monday. So he was not under oath, and this was a closed-door meeting. And the subject of it was, did he or did he not, I mean, essentially collude with Russia? And there's a staggering amount of evidence for one to suspect that he did, including reports that he had asked for a secret back channel between him and the Russian Russian ambassador to talk about strategy in Syria with Russian officials like before the election. There was the meeting that he had with Donald Trump Jr. and a Russian lawyer. And yeah, and then like six other people. And, and like, he's like, yeah. I don't know what happened. I was just there. Was I don't like, know who I'm meeting with. Yeah, he was like, like he has no idea who he met with there. And then there was or this, what were they were talking there about? There was that great New York Times commenter that kind of went around on oh, yeah. Twitter that was like, "I'm a suburban, like partly employed, two time divorcee, and part time worker at a jewelry store, and I never take meetings without right. knowing what they're for." I'm like, "Yes, girl." I wonder if I could just schedule a meeting with Jared Kushner. Yeah, and he'll be like, and, "I don't know what this is for." I'll but take yeah, it. I'll, but I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I think with Jared Kushner, what we're seeing is like the Trump administration going back to the excuse that it is most comfortable with, as it should be, is that we're too stupid to be evil on purpose. Um, I mean, I don't believe it. I believe it, but I also believe that they're being evil on purpose. I be- Yeah, I believe that those are not mutually exclusive. Even though things. they like, even I though believe logically that they are they too are stupid. Mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. But in reality, somehow they managed to, like, transcend logic and be both. It's <laughs> right. it's really incredible. Our next weenie is such a weenie, and welcome to the Weekend Weenies family. It's Texas Representative Blake Farenthold who blamed the failure of the health care bill that is not really a thing, just like the vague idea of a Republican health care bill because nobody knows what it is. He blamed its blockage on— a bunch of women in the Northeast. Some of the people that are opposed to this, there are some female senators from the Northeast. If it was a guy from South Texas, I might ask him to step outside and settle this Aaron Burr style. I guess he thinks that Alaska is in the Northeast, which is in the Northeast if you go around the world enough. He also thinks that if you're we in the Pacific are in Ocean. the Dark Ages. Yeah, he also thinks we should be dueling. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, if somebody wants to duel Blake Farenthold, that's fine with me. I would love to. I wish him success. Him. But I but I would be ineligible because I am a woman. Women aren't allowed to duel. Um, I don't know if you know. But then a couple days later, it was on Tuesday of this week, Senator Susan Collins, who for her Republicanism has been good in this health debate. She's just been sturdy. So she was caught on a hot mic saying. No, no, Tuesday, no. the one who challenged me to do it. I know. Trust me. You know why I challenge you to do? 
because you could beat the shit out of me first. <laughs> 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 and he, is so, I don't mean to be in a kind, but he's so unattractive. I saw the, you know. Do you see the picture of him in his pajamas next to this bunny? Or a bunny? Her saying, like, I don't mean to be unkind. And then something very cruel. I don't know. I see (laughs) Susan Collins as way more of a human being now than I did. Same. I do like to hear these little moments and being like, yeah, girl gets it. You know what else is incredible? That she had to apologize. Like, she apologized because this might, like, hurt her politically. But we we have a president who says things like this unapologetically. So much worse. And And so much worse. Yeah. But they've both, uh, Blake and Susan Collins have both apologized to each other. Presumably they're best friends now. I believe it. (laughs) All right. Our last and final weenie of the week is Anthony Scaramucci. The mooch. The mooch. Indeed. (laughs) He's basically a younger Donald Trump is how I would describe him. Listen to this supercut of him saying how much he loves the president from his very first White House press briefing where he emerged as our new White House communications director. I think there's been, at times, a disconnect between the way we see the president and how much we love the president. They so identify with the president and they love him. And so we're going to get that message out. I love the president, but I love the president. I love the president. But here's what I will tell you, okay? I love the president. Thank you to Jezebel video producer Phoebe Bradford for cutting this. So... Anthony Scaramucci is scary (laughs) because he is a man that we are seeing so many people like this with the Trump administration who clearly has no, like, moral compass. Like, his values are just whatever the hell Trump says today. And whatever Trump says today, you know Trump is going to contradict about five hours later and everyone else is going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what we still think. Yeah, I mean, his values aren't even, like— whatever Trump says. It's like whatever Trump says right now because supporting Trump is good for me personally. But like he didn't always support Trump. Exactly. So I just got to say that now I miss Sean Spicer. I miss him. I miss him. That oafish. He was an evil little bat. An evil little tan bat. He loved (laughs) the bushes. I miss him. (laughs) I miss him a lot. Okay, so based off of this week's weenie, Anthony Scaramucci, I have prepared a very special game for you to play, Joanna. I don't know if you have seen his past quotes, (laughs) but it is surprisingly hard to tell whether they are coming from our current White House communications director or somebody who, like, worked with Obama. I have not seen his quotes. So I'm going to read you a bunch of quotes, and you're going to have to guess if it was Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci, or if it was an Obama staffer. And if 
if you think it was an Obama staffer, like take a guess at literally I could never, but I'll which try. Which one? You can just just try, Joanna. <laughs> I don't you even never remember. know what you can accomplish I don't if you even just remember try. who worked in that administration. <laughs> but I'll try. Okay. First quote. Walls don't work, never have, never will. The Berlin Wall, 1961 to 1989, don't fall for it. <laughs> I think that's Scaramucci because who would be talking about a wall in the Obama administration? That's, you are correct. Nice. Good job. One point for me. One point. <laughs> You're doing great. All right. This is a quote about Hillary Clinton. Um, and this, it's, this is not from this year. This is like an older quote. Mm-hmm. I hope she runs. She is incredibly competent. I think that's him, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> because Obama wouldn't, some, someone from the Obama administration wouldn't say it. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, here we, here we go. I'm a here's detective. An, here's I'm, another one. Okay. Hillary is tough. When she gets knocked down, she doesn't complain. She doesn't cry foul. I think that's an Obama administration person because it sounds like campaign talk. I think that's Obama. You're close. It's Michelle Obama. Okay. I mean, yeah. Well, that's who I meant, Prachi. uh, Yeah, I know it's not who you meant. Don't pull that shit with me, Joanna. But I could have. I didn't get it wrong. You technically got it right, actually. I technically technically did. Got it right. We care about technicalities (laughs) on this podcast. Yeah. Okay, here's another Hillary quote. Okay. I like Hillary. Have to go with the best athlete. We need to turn this around. Okay, I'm going to guess Scaramucci because he did the thing about how Donald Trump threw a football into a into a hole. You are really good at this. Yes. Which is making me think that I suck at creating no, games. it's a great game. <laughs> I'm just – okay, you can be good at, ga- at creating games and I can also be good at political no. detective work. No, it's – it's it has to – this I'm, has to be mutually at reading like a zero something. I'm like psych for political game. All right. Whoever wins this election, the outcome will be historic. We'll either have the first female president or the first president who started a Twitter war with Cher. I'm going to guess Joe Biden. Good guess. It was actually Hillary Clinton. Threw you a curveball there. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's why I know what it is, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. (laughs) You can take steps to combat climate change without crippling the economy. The fact that many people still believe... CC or climate change is a hoax, is disheartening. I think that's one of the, like, the tweets that Scaramucci deleted. Yeah, it is. Cool. Okay, now my goal is just to make sure you get <laughs> one of these things fucking wrong. <laughs> that's the, okay. only, the only thing that's going to make me happy now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm very good at standardized tests. I'm not surprised. <laughs> After what I'm seeing right now. It's just about, like, um, seeing the clues in the sentence. (laughs) Study tips with Joanna. That'll be our, like, podcast spinoff. Okay. He's a hack politician. He's probably going to make Elizabeth Warren his vice presidential nominee with comments like that. It's anti-American. It's very, very divisive. I'll tell you who he's going to be president of. You can tell Donald I said this. The Queens County Bullies Association. You got to cut it out now. Stop all this crazy rhetoric. I want to say it's Scaramucci because he's referring to Queens County. And it's like Scaramucci's like a New York bro. Is that your final answer? Yeah. (laughs) Damn it, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I really doubted it. I know. I was trying to get you to commit to your It was the Queens County thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Grow up, Donald. Grow up. Time to be an adult. I don't know. It could be any person. Let's say, let me guess Neil Eggleston. Uh, who? He was the Obama <laughs> counsel. And he was the dad of my friend that I grew up with. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, who is it? It's Joe Biden. Oh! I really was going to guess Joe Biden, and then I was like, I can't guess Joe Biden again. It'll sound like I don't know anyone from the Obama administration, which is why I guess Neil Eggleston. <laughs> All right, uh, next, next quote. Oh, my God, I knew that. Join it. It'll be okay. It'll be— It just—you know, it'll be it's okay. just like, you know, when you did know something and nobody believes you, but, like, you know that you did. Oh, oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> I okay. do know that feeling. Um, okay, this is the guy you want to be championing working people— this guy who spent 70 years on this earth showing no concern for working people, this guy's suddenly going to be your champion. He spent most of his life trying to stay as far away from working people as he could. And now this guy's going to be a champion of the working people, huh? <laughs> That's so much. I know. A lot of, a lot of working people. <laughs> working people, huh? Hmm. Okay, I'm going to guess Obama administration. Mm, it just sounds stupid. It sounds like not as eloquent as maybe they would be. But I still don't believe that Scaramucci would talk about working people because I don't think he thinks about them because he's so rich and gross. So I'm going to guess Obama administration official, but I'm going to decline to specify who. Mm. <clears throat> it is Obama himself. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I am uh, shocked. <laughs> but in Joanna's estimation, a dumb quote from Obama. <laughs> okay, Obama, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I do think you're generally very eloquent. Maybe that wasn't your most eloquent quote. Maybe it was taken out of context. Maybe you're saying it. someone was trying to interrupt you. I don't know. I just want to, like, put you that. You can also blame it on how I read it. I made it sound kind of dumb. I mean, in my but the words are the words. The words are – this is true. The words <laughs> are the words. All right. We, the USA, has 5% of the world's population, but 50% of the world's guns. Enough is enough. It is just common sense to apply more controls. I think that's Scaramucci. It is. You are correct. He also says, it is just common sense it apply more controls. Okay. And I changed that to two, Thank two you when for, I was reading clarity. it because that really probably would have given it away. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, I have two more. Climate change is not a religion. It is not a belief system. It's a science fact. And our challenge is to move forward with the actions we need to protect future generations. That sounds like an Obama administration official because it sounds like it was said in a speech. I guess Ob Barack Obama. No, it's, uh, I mean, it is an Obama staffer. Yeah. It's a uh, former head of the EPA, Gina McCarthy. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. No, no Neil Eggleston, but, <laughs> I was gonna, you know. I was going to say <laughs> All right, last last one. <gasps> Republicans should support gay marriage. This is the first one where I really do feel like I'm being tricked and I cannot, like, untangle myself from how I'm being tricked because it sounds like it's obviously Scaramucci, but then it also sounds like if it's obviously Scaramucci, why would it be Scaramucci? And then you also said this is hard. So what if it's just, like, a fringe Obama administration person or it's, like, someone who was— in the Obama administration, but, like, not really in the Obama administration, but was riding a bus that I love the Obama campaign. This is making your brain turn. No, but truly, it could be anybody. I'm going to guess Scaramucci. You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> the joy, the look, the... I've never seen such intense joy and satisfaction on your face as I am seeing right now. I'm so competitive. I love <laughs> I to know, win. I know, you are. <laughs> 
was a great game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> This week on Jezebel, I published a piece called Senator Patty Murray is not giving up on rape kit legislation. And it's about a federal reform that the senator is trying to pass that would help uh, victims of sexual assault get forensic examinations at the hospital, which surprisingly is not as common as it should be. Um, Joining us on the line is Leah Griffin, who has advocated for this bill and has worked for sexual assault survivors for the past three years. Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So can you tell our listeners first about your story and your experience, um, how you got involved with your advocacy work? So I was raped in 2014. And after my attack, I you know, tried to navigate the system as best I could and was met with obstacles and challenges and failures in the system at basically every point, from the way the hospital treated me to the police to the prosecutors, and was unable to get any sort of justice. And as a result of that, I started making phone calls and sending emails to pretty much anybody who I thought might have some authority in changing some of these problems. And At first, it was really disjointed, and I didn't really know. So I was just sending emails to, like, every member of the city council and every member of the county council. And it took a while to figure out exactly who are the people that I wanted to talk to and how do I talk to them most effectively. So let's backtrack for a second before we talk about um, the legislation that you helped. Like, what were the issues that came up with the hospital? Because I think those are things that when you first told me when we were reporting the story, I didn't even know that all of these things were problems, to be honest. I think that there's this idea that, you know, if you are raped, you go to the hospital and you get a rape kit or a safe kit uh, is what they're actually called. And I guess after my attack, I just, I assumed that I would go to the hospital and collect evidence, and then that would begin the law and order SVU style next two years of my life. But what happened instead was I walked in, and the hospital told me that they didn't do rape kits there. And they told me that they could, you know, examine me because I had some injuries, uh, which they did, but didn't find my injuries. But essentially, they said, you need to go to a different hospital. I was not able to drive myself because I had been, had been drugged and was disoriented. And uh, at the time, I couldn't fathom getting in an ambulance and just being left up uh, far, 45 minutes from where I lived uh, without anybody with me. So I went home. And I've talked to other survivors just in conversations uh, who say that the same thing happened to them. And sometimes they made it to the second hospital and sometimes they didn't. And the fact is that we really don't know how many survivors go to a hospital looking for a rape kit and face an obstacle that they can't overcome. And so that's part of the, the problem that we're trying to fix is how do we 
collect evidence in a way that isn't burdensome or additionally traumatizing to survivors of sexual assault. What is it like turning that personal experience into advocacy work? It's actually really empowering. Uh, It's been a little over three years now, and, you know, I've come a long way in my personal journey and recovery is in the first couple of months, I didn't leave my apartment. I couldn't do anything. I was not a functional human. And to go from that experience to just deciding stubbornly that these things have to change, I've gone to countless meetings. I've uh, advocated and testified for bills. Uh, Now I sit on a legislative task force in Washington state as a result of that advocacy. And I just got back from Washington, D.C., where I worked with Patty Murray's staff to meet with senators and representatives from both parties to try to get bipartisan co-sponsorship for the Survivors Access to Supportive Care Act. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the specific bills that you've worked on and what your involvement has looked like on kind of a day-to-day, more minute level? So the first bill that I really started working on was House Bill 1068 here in Washington. And it was written by Tina Orwall, who is an amazing representative. She is a fierce proponent of women and survivors and has been amazing. And that looked like making a lot of phone calls and emails. I wrote out my story. I wrote out how 1068 impacted me and would have changed my experience for the better. This was the law in Washington that mandated that all rape kits are sent to a lab for testing. Uh, Washington State has 6,000 backlog rape kits, which is, you know, a good amount. Uh, There are other states with more or less. um, But this bill was meant to test those kits. So as a result of all of my emails and phone calls, I was then invited to sit on uh, the legislative task force, the Sexual Assault Forensic Examination Task Force. And then out of that task force, we just passed in Washington House Bill 1109, which was a huge deal. Uh, It dealt with a lot of the issues that I encountered. One of them was a lack of empathy or uh, investigation on the part of the police. So 1109 creates a fund to not only fund the testing of all of backlog rape kits, but it also provides funding in order to train police. Uh, There are police all over the country who have zero training in dealing with victims of sexual assault. So in my case, I had waited two hours in the lobby of the police precinct after calling 911 Uh, When I asked them after an hour how long it would be, they told me just to go home. An hour later, when the officers finally showed up, they started to interview me in the public lobby in front of a man complaining about a package theft. So they didn't know how to deal with me or how to talk to me in a way that wasn't increasingly traumatizing. Can you describe some of your interactions with the lawmakers? Have the ones that you've spoken to generally been receptive? Oh, yeah. Everyone that I've talked to has been wonderful. I can't really remember having a bad meeting with anybody, which is why I think that this this advocacy and this work has been so rewarding is 
the problems that I've encountered are universally bad, right? Nobody thinks it's good that the police don't know how to talk to survivors. Nobody thinks it's good that hospitals can turn survivors away without providing them evidence collection. I mean, nobody is on the other side of these issues. And I think that makes it a lot easier for me than advocating for issues that are more controversial. That makes sense to me. But I do feel that a lot of people feel kind of helpless. And especially right now, and you are a very inspiring example of somebody who has been able to make change. Um, Do you have uh, advice for people who are in similar situations? They've experienced injustices, maybe similar, not the same that you have, and they want to do something, but they don't really know where to begin? The most powerful tool we have as advocates and as citizens is the power of our stories. So the first thing that I would recommend to people is to write down your story. And when you go to lawmakers and you go to people with influence, that story should really have four parts. You should begin with a challenge and then a choice and then an outcome and then an ask. So for instance, uh, let's give you an example concerning what we're talking about right now is you have listeners who are listening to an advocate talking about a federal bill that helps make sure that more survivors have access to rape kits when they go into a hospital. And so your listener can write down, I was challenged with the fact that only 17% of hospitals in our country are fully equipped and, and staffed to deal with rape survivors. And I made the choice at this point to do something about that because it made me really uncomfortable and that's not not appropriate. Uh, the outcome of my choice is that I looked at legislators who have the ability to have an action on this bill. So whether that's, a, you know, I'm going to nudge Dave Reichert here in Washington, Representative Reichert, or, you know, Lamar Alexander, the Republican senator in charge of the health committee, or uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who uh, would be a great co-sponsor a Republican on this bill. I looked them up and wanted to to advocate for it. And so now I'm calling that person, you, Dave Reichert, Lamar Alexander, Lisa Murkowski, and I'm asking you specifically to vote or co-sponsor the Survivors Access to Supportive Care Act. And you know that's really simple, but that narrative and having that arc and those four points really make a difference in in how your story is received. So that's how somebody can advocate for a specific legislation that's already in the works. But one of the other things that's really interesting that you've done is inspired lawmakers to actually draft original legislation at the state level and then even at the federal level. Can you talk a little bit about that process and what your initial conversations with lawmakers like? Like, how did you even get in front of them? Did you help them write these bills? Did you have proposals that you sent to them? Like, describe that process for us. Well, that process, uh, I got meetings with people because I asked for them. And I think that's another bit of advice is lawmakers will meet with you. And if you write out your story and it's compelling and you have a clear problem and a clear ask, then they'll meet with you. And uh, I was really fortunate that Patty Murray's staff met with me. They asked me questions about the problem. I later met with Patty Murray and she asked me for specific ideas that I had to tweak the bill uh, to make sure that 
that it uh, would work and that I thought it was good legislation. So I was definitely asked input on it, which was really nice. And my original ask from them was, can we mandate that all hospitals provide rape kits? And, you know, it turns out that my ask was was not something that was necessarily feasible. And so, you know, being a good legislator, Patty Murray wrote a bill that I think is bipartisan and is totally doable. And hopefully we'll get that bipartisan support and it'll it'll pass. 1109 that we worked on in Washington State also was bipartisan and passed unanimously. So this this funding, even with a funding element, for rape kit testing and police training. I mean, that is a unanimous bipartisan bill. And uh, lawmakers, especially good ones like Tina Orwall and Patty Murray, they know how to write these bills so to get the most people on board as possible. One of the hardest things about your work, I think, is that, I mean, other than the the act of speaking publicly about your experience is that your story could get twisted into a political talking point. You're opening up yourself up to that. Has that happened to you? Have you had to deal? I mean, I can't imagine who would be like, no, I disagree. But I mean, have you had to deal with any of that? Was that something that you considered? Um, yeah, it's definitely something that I considered. And that's, you know, why I've been kind of doing this work anonymously for the last couple of years. And I finally decided, you know, I, I keep telling other survivors to use your voice and speak out and tell your narrative and your story. And I needed to step up and do that with my own name. And it definitely is scary. And it definitely could put me at risk. I mean, there's a lot of bad people out there. But at the same time, this is something that is so broken and so wrong that, you know, I have a lot of privilege as well. And it's important for me to use that privilege to change these issues as much as I possibly can. I also want to point out, especially for the listeners, that your case actually never got prosecuted. The prosecution declined to press charges or to move forward with the case And I think that's really important to point out because I think for a lot of people, maybe they would have stopped there, but that doesn't mean that you can't affect change. Mm -hmm. Well, and in the case of sexual assault, that's the case most of the time, right? So out of every 1,000 rapes, six perpetrators end up in jail. Six. That statistic comes from rain. So people aren't getting justice here. And When I first started working on these issues, and there's so many of them, like the rape kit backlog gets so much attention, but here I am working on having access to those rape kits in the first place. We have a lack of officer training. We have victim blaming going on by prosecutors nationwide. There's tons of issues. And so I started working on this, this problem thinking that the system was broken and what I've really come to the conclusion of after, you know, three and a half years is that the system for dealing with rape and sexual assault in our country isn't broken. It never existed in the first place, right? This is a, an issue that men and women, primarily women, have been dealing with since the dawn of time, right? <laughs> since mm-hmm. history began. And 
we're not much better dealing with sexual assault in the United States of America in 2017 than we were during the Renaissance or the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, right? When we have six out of a thousand perpetrators actually going to prison for rape, those are medieval numbers. That's, that's embarrassing. And if we don't seriously start talking about this and survivors don't start stepping up and saying, me too, uh, this is a problem, this is real, uh, then we're not going to fix it. And so I, I hope that other people can hear my story and, and speak up to their own friends and family and their own lawmakers and write their narrative and tell their story because that's how we change this. That's how we bring these numbers out of embarrassing medieval numbers. Well, thank you so much for your work. And thank you, Leah, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. the best segment of our show, How to Handle the Dicks, where we talk about how we're handling the dicks. Leah specifically requested that she stay on to tell us how she's handling the dicks. Here's what she said. In regards to handling the dicks, uh, the only dick that I know is uh, a member of the, or was a member of the city council in my hometown of Anacortes for 20 years, and that would be Dick Brown, my grandpa. So (laughs) I want to say a shout out to Grandpa Dick. You're the Aww. first person whose who's dick is their grandpa. <laughs> I mean, a different meaning. <laughs> Prachi, how are you handling the dicks? I had a pretty good week of, like, been, like, working out pretty solidly. Nice. Yeah. And this is such a health-conscious show. This is basically a fitness podcast. <laughs> it, it, it really it really is. Um, yeah, I have been working out more regularly and— have finally been, like, cooking more, too. So the two have coincided for this, like, oh, my God, a healthy lifestyle, which is a (laughs) thing I've never had. And it's fleeting. I'm sure it'll last for about— Yeah, because your two, like, trajectories have passed at the exact same moment, and here's where we are. It's just—it's really just circumstantial and coincidental. It's not, like—it's not intentional. It's just— yeah. It just happened. And I That's would be so lucky for this to happen again once in the next 30 years. Like a <laughs> like a shooting star. Like that is two things is. colliding. And two beautiful <laughs> things colliding in my life at the same time. But what that means is for the past week I've been really healthy and it feel, feels really good. Oh, and yes. I I ran a um I timed my mile. Like I ran a couple miles on a Sunday and I timed my mile and I was like, oh, this is actually it was a good mile. It was like it was like not bad. I mean, it was not. It was a good time. It was a good time for. I'm gonna. I'm qualifying the shit out of this. I know. <laughs> um, I mean, whatever your mile time was, I literally can't guess because when I was in eighth grade, the last time I timed my mile, it was 11 minutes. So, oh my God, Joanna. Uh, I explained that by saying number one, I didn't exercise. Okay. Number two, I was told that dancers really train different parts of the bod. <laughs> than runners. So, so where's Joanna? Whereas you are really competitive with uh, 
games. I'm really competitive with running. And, with a, a competitive like, sport, you yeah. mean? Well, <laughs> I ran. I ran it in co- in high school and college. You're like a so real runner. I'm like, I'm like sort of like a real <laughs> runner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my hand to handle the dicks is I'm going on vacation next week, so you're going to have. A different co-host that's not me. Yeah, we're going to have Kelly Stout. Nice. Kelly Jezebel Stout's the Features best. editor. That'll be so fun. I mean, I want you to love her as much as me, but not. I'm going to love her way more than you, and we're not going to miss you at all. We're going to be know like, gonna Joanna, happen. who is she? I know. I, I hope mean, she doesn't come back. It's deserved. <laughs> Definitely. But, okay, I'm going on vacation And so I've been like in all of my free time, it's like become my thing that I think about now. So I've looked at like hundreds of restaurant reviews, just like kind of it's become like an obsessive thing because I'm like trying to make like a few reservations so that we don't get shut out of everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't, there's nothing funny. I'm just like obsessively looking at (laughs) restaurant reservations. Also, um, coincidentally, I'm learning what kilometers mean. And Brad, my boyfriend, keeps being like, oh, this thing is five kilometers away. And I'm like, stop talking to me in kilometers. <laughs> I'm an American. I don't understand this. Like, If what? you're a runner, you would know. I'm just saying. Literally. literally 3.1 this, miles. This this morning, I was like, don't talk to me about kilometers. Like, what is five kilometers? A hundred miles. And he's like, you think that the running program couch to 5K is no running <laughs> and then a hundred miles of running? And I was like, yeah, Okay. Touche. <laughs> I love that that was Brad's example. <laughs> like, it is, his way it's of showing really you that you're wrong. It was that was that was clever. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and thank you to our guest Leah Griffin for joining us. This show is produced by Levi Sharp and Gabriella Sierra, with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mandana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode is mixed by Brad Fisher. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. And you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Friday. And honestly, Who knows what the world will look like then? I loved it.